Well, good morning, Freshwater. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. My name is Len Marr. Um, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I have the incredible privilege to work with some wonderful 7th through 12th graders and their families here um, at Freshwater. We're going to continue our series this morning, the series on intersection, right? Specifically, Jesus, ooh, Jesus at the intersection of our lives. Jesus at the intersection of our lives. And the first question that I have for you this morning is, what is your response when Jesus intersects with your life? What is your response when your life is intersected with, intersected with Jesus or what should your response be? And this may seem like a, a, a weird message this morning because the message is gonna focus a lot on us, but it's actually a message to warn us not to focus a lot on us. So we'll see how that ends up going. Um, and this can also seem like a strange message coming out of Easter. Right? Maybe you guys are you're here with us. This is just your second time, maybe online, your second time. Welcome back. But on Easter Sunday, we talked about how much Jesus loves us and how Jesus came and walked on the earth and lived a perfect life so that he could die for you and I, for the sins in our lives. Right? He could die on the cross and, and he was buried and he rose again. And, and because of that, we could once again be in a relationship with the God that we were created for through Jesus. And how Jesus loves to step into situations where things are dead and to, to bring them back to life or hopeless situations and, and to bring hope into that. And the whole idea of this life that we could have with God is actually eternal life. And it begins from the time that we accept Jesus for all eternity. But that relationship with God costs something. That relationship with God costs something. Sure, it costs God the Father his son as he sent his son. It costs Jesus on the cross too as he died and then he rose again. But it costs us something as well. And if we don't acknowledge that price and live out that cost, there can be a danger in that. So this morning, what I'm hoping to do is, is, is not a time of, of shame and guilt, but hopefully in this message, and, and I was praying coming into this, that God would use this message in a way to motivate us or wake us up to something. Okay, that's kind of my, that's my prayer for us this morning. So how many people here are athletes or performers of some kind or used to be? Okay, a little bit more of this service. How many of you have had coaches in your life at some time? Okay, about the same, about the same. The first service, it was just like no performance or athletes. And I said coaches and they were like, oh, so it's good. So hopefully this will hit home with you guys. So as a coach, right, hopefully you guys had coaches that, that love to win. Coaches that pushed you and got the most out of you. And hopefully those coaches also cared about you as a person that they, they cared about developing you as a person. And there were probably times with either during the performance, before the performance, it could be during a timeout or it could be during halftime, right? Where, where the coach had a little talk with you. And they went something like this, wake up, wake up. Like you, get, you gotta get a game, like get your head in the game. <laughs> you, you gotta perform better. Like you've got to play better, that's what we need. And again, I'm hoping that this time here this morning isn't shame and guilt, but it's a motivation and a wake-up call. And a wake-up call that the church in the West, 
really has had a movement for some time now where we've moved from a Christ-centered faith to a me-centered faith. And in reality, the me-centered faith, that's just naturally what happens. That's the flesh in us. If Jesus isn't working in our lives, that's where we naturally go. We want things our way, right? How many people wrestle with that? We want things our way. Oh, come on, right? If Jesus isn't working in our lives, that's what we want. We want it our way. We want it quickly. We want it done the way we want it done. We want it delivered the way that we want it delivered, right? Becomes all about us. And then we live in this culture that's hyper-personalized. You know what I mean? Some of you guys have heard me talk about this before. We have iPhones and iMessages. And we have our own playlists. And we have entertainment that's on demand. We don't even have to be interrupted by commercials anymore as long as we're willing to pay for it, right? We have all of these things. And, and, and it goes into um, with the, the I demand and all of those things. And then what happens is, is the flesh, because of the way that we're bent in the flesh, it feeds us. And all of a sudden, all of this I, I, I personal experiences. Oh, let's say social media, right? Social media is all about other people. No, it's all about I, good, you're still listening. I, then you throw in Google, and then you throw in algorithms, right? It's all about personal experiences. And what happens is, is we gradually move into this thing of being obsessed with ourselves. We become obsessed with ourselves. It's about my rights. It's about me. I will drive the way I want to drive. I will cut in line if I want to cut in line. I will let you have it if I want to let you have it, okay? I will demand X, Y, and Z out of you if that's what I want to do. And all that happened last Monday afternoon. Last Monday afternoon. Kim and I, we were, we were out. We weren't in Wadsworth. We were in another community. She had some things she needed to do at a store. I had some things that I needed to do. And then we came back together and we compared notes, and we were either directly involved with those moments or we witnessed those moments. It's like everywhere around us. And if we're not careful, we get wet in the culture that we're swimming in and our relationship with Jesus becomes the same way. Our relationship has to be quick, has to become personal. It has to be about what I like and what I want. Does that make sense? It's just where we live. So this morning is a reality check. It's a timeout, not this bashing way, but hopefully in a loving way. Because if we don't understand and live out the cost of what it is to follow Jesus, then we are going to be easy prey for sin and evil and Satan. And not only that, we're going to be easily deceived into following the ways of the world and not the ways of Jesus. So that's what I'm hoping to do this morning. So let's go to our passage, Luke 14, 25 through 33. In fact, Luke 14, 25 through 33, Jesus himself warns us to count the cost before following him. Luke 14, 25 through 33. And this is what it says. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. 
Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first uh, sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down and first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple." Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that your word would go out in power this morning. God, I, I, I pray too that, again, this is, this is not a, a motivation that comes from me. God, it's not a wake up that comes from me, that it comes from you. Jesus, again, we need to hear from you today. We need to meet with you. Would you bless us with that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, before we jump into our passage, there is something that Jesus says three times in this passage that I wanted to find. He says, look, if these three things do not happen in our lives, we cannot be Jesus's what? Disciple, very good. You cannot be my disciple. So when we take a look at a disciple, all right, if, if I could bring a whiteboard out here and as a group we would put together like what's all the ins and outs of a disciple and how we define a disciple, chances are we'd have a really, really long list. In fact, some of us would even argue about some of the things that are on the list or whether they should be on the list. So this morning, I just want to go with a simple definition of disciple. It is looking specifically from uh, discipleship.org. And this is what it says. It says, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. So a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Okay, so let's go back to the passage, verse 25. Now, great crowds accompanied him. Great crowds, Jesus again in his ministry, it's been going on for a while, has a huge crowd. We already talked, Brian Hogan talked about Palm Sunday, about, you know, they were following Jesus for a lot of different reasons, and we get that. But what's interesting is, is Jesus's goal wasn't a huge following. Jesus' goal was to create disciples who wanted to follow him. So look at what he does there. I want you to think. Think large crowd. I want you to be in that crowd. Large crowd, huge following. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he says that he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's a shocking statement, isn't it? Shocking statement. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're not familiar with this passage, but you're kind of familiar with Jesus, you want to call your own time out right here, right? You want to call your own time out and sit there and go, oh, wait, 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 I hate. Like, what does this look like? Because I thought I read somewhere Jesus said we're supposed to love one another. And I believe that the Bible talks about how we're supposed to love our families, because I remember my mom and dad sitting me down telling me about how I'm supposed to treat my mom and dad and how we're supposed to treat our siblings, right? Like all of those things are coming. And then you go, well, wait a minute. I, I thought Jesus said we're supposed to even love his, like love our enemies. Like how does that work? 
if we're supposed to hate. Well, where we get tripped up here is the word hate. The way that we would receive this word hate in this passage is different than the way than those listening to Jesus at that time would have received that word. See, hate there for us might be like Merriam-Webster's um, dictionary where, where it says it's this, this extreme disgust or this uh, extreme dislike, I think it said. So it's this extreme. So is Jesus really asking us to be disgusted with our family? Some of us have been there though, right? Right? Okay. Disgusted with our brothers and sisters. Some of us have been there, right? Like you know what that's like. But is that what Jesus is saying? And we know that's not what Jesus is saying because of the rest of Scripture. So what is Jesus saying? And here, the audience would have heard this hate would have been in relation to like a comparison, comparison to something. So it would actually be they would have heard to love less than. Does that make sense? So it's not hate in the way that we would see hate, but actually love less than. So they would have heard Jesus saying, if anybody's going to come after me, he must love his family less than he loves me, or he cannot be my disciple. Does that make sense? All right. So in Matthew 10, uh, 37, Jesus says this. It's very similar. It says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus is saying that following him, we are supposed to love him and his kingdom more than any other earthly relationships. He's saying that our love for him needs to trump or take precedent over any other relationship that we have in our lives. Any other relationship than we have in our lives. In fact, Jesus says, you should love me more than even your own life. Even your own life. In Matthew 22, 35 and 39, um, the... Uh, Religious leaders of the day, they're coming and they're trying to trip Jesus up. And that was one of the times where they came and they said, hey, of the law, which is the greatest commandment? Some of you guys may remember this. And Jesus starts and he says, look, the greatest commandment is you should love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, mind. Very good, right? And he said, this is the first commandment. This is the great commandment. And then he said, the other is likewise, right? Love your neighbor as what? yourself. You see what Jesus did there? Jesus went, you start with God and then you go to people. You start with God and then you go to people because this is what Jesus knows. Unless Jesus is on the throne of your life and working in your life and molding you and transforming you and challenging you and empowering you, there's no way you can love other people the way that Jesus calls you to love them. It's actually Jesus changing us to such a level that it's kind of like it's, it flows out of us because of what Jesus is doing in us. Does that make sense? So it starts with Jesus and then flows to others. So here's your next question this morning. Do you currently have a relationship in your life that's interfering with your relationship with Jesus? Do you currently have a relationship with somebody in your life? It may be because there's more of a, there's too much of a focus there, too much of an allegiance there, um, too much time there. Maybe even that relationship is getting in the way of being obedient to what Jesus is calling you to do. Or ask yourself this question. Think about the person that you love the most right now in your life. Think about how you interact with that person. 
Think about how often you think of that person. Like think about all of that stuff and then compare that to how you engage with Jesus in your life. Because Jesus says that our earthly relationships should never get in the way of our relationship with him and what he wants to do in us and through us. So that was relationships. Let's go to number two. Number two, verse 27. Whoever does not bear or carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay? Carry the cross. Now, again, I want you to go back to the audience that day. Okay? I want you to go back to the audience that day because for us, we have the privilege of looking back to the cross. Right? Back to the cross. That's why we can celebrate the cross. That's why we can sing about the cross. That's why we have crosses, sometimes images of crosses, what? In our homes. We might post images of crosses on social media. Some of us even wear a cross as jewelry, right? We have a cross that's up here on the stage because we have the luxury to look back. What do you think it would be like for somebody in Jesus's day before the crucifixion to walk through a door and see a cross on the stage? How, how, how long do you think they'd stay here? Oh, yeah, they'd be like, oh, good morning, right? Forgot something in the car. I'm gone, right? Because in Jesus's day, when they looked at a cross, their image would have been, oh, that is a tool. That is an instrument, instrument for humiliation and pain that ultimately results in death. He said, you, you don't go to a cross unless you're going to the cross to die. And that's Jesus's point. That's Jesus's point. First, he had this shocking statement about hating or loving less people that are in our lives. And then he has this shocking metaphor of the cross about dying to self. Jesus is not talking about physical death here, although he could call us to that. We know in scripture, people have died for the faith. We know historically people have died for the faith. We even know that there are people today that are dying for their faith. So he could call us to that, but Jesus is saying right here, he's going, look, look, I need you to die to self. I need you to deny yourself. You can't get in the way of my relationship with you. You can't move in and want things your way. Like, I need to have full reign in your life because it's not about um, my will, but his will, right? It's not about my way, but his way. It's not about my wants and desires. It's about his wants and desires. It's not about my plans and my dreams and my goals. It's exchanging all of those for what God wants to do in our lives. We must be willing to die to ourselves to follow Jesus, Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love what the ESV does in the study notes here when they break down Paul's statement. It is no longer I who live does not mean that Paul has no personality of his own. All of his writing shows that he does but that his own personal interests and goals no longer direct his life. Rather, Christ who lives in me now directs and empowers all that he does. And like, this seems like a radical statement, right? 
Like we sit here today and we go, whoa, that's radical. But do you know from Jesus' perspective, that's normal. That's normal. Jesus is like, it's not radical, that's normal. If you want to follow me, that's what that looks like. So here's your next question. When was the last time that you surrendered something for Jesus? When was the last time that you surrendered something for Jesus? Where you had to tell yourself no in order to, for him, in order to say yes to him. When was the last time that you told yourself no in order to say yes to him? See, Jesus, he goes on here. First, he addresses our family relationship. Second, he addresses our self, right? And dying to self. Now he goes after our possessions. In verse 33, it says this. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Renounce, forfeit, abandon, all of it. Again, Jesus, you guys should be able to pick up where the phrase is going after this and what I'm going to say, that, that Jesus is saying that our possessions should never get in the way of our relationship with him, should never get in the way of what he wants to do in us and through us, right? And again, this can happen so easily when we're not close to Jesus and allowing him to be active in our lives. This is another tough one since we live here in the United States, Right? In the United States, we love to worship at the altar of comfort and happiness. And we've been given so much here. God has blessed the United States unbelievably. And you may be sitting here today going, oh, I don't necessarily feel that. But if you compare yourself to other people in the world, God has given us a lot. But what can happen is, is everything that he gives us, all of a sudden we look at everything that we have and we start transferring value to those things. Does that make sense? We start transferring comfort to those things. That's where I find my comfort. That's where I find my happiness. And then all of a sudden these, these toys or these possessions that we have, we can run to those as like distractions when things get difficult. It's kind of an escape and there is this gradual movement to where all of a sudden we start worshiping and giving our time to our possessions instead of the Jesus that gave us the possessions. So the next question, what do you think is going to be? Max, what do you think? Oh, I don't know, man. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the next question, I want you to think about your possessions. Is there currently a possession or maybe several possessions that are in the way of your relationship with Jesus and what he's trying to do in your life? Is there anything that there is there that's interfering with your relationship with him? Last fe February, we went to uh, Beulah Beach. We took the youth ministry to a winter retreat there called Whiteout. And while we were there, the speaker told um, this powerful story that I was able to track down on the internet. And in fact, if you were a part of the IF conference in 2021, this story might be familiar to you. And what it is, is he, he told this story about a guy who, who lived in a Western um, country who then went over to the Middle East. He ended up meeting his eventual wife there 
there. And when he met his wife, his wife was involved in, in some serious God movements where people were coming to Jesus and house churches were being established. They eventually got married and he brought her back to the Western country where he was established. He said he had a good paying job. He had money. He had cars. He had a house. He had the good life, but he, he kind of felt like he was still unhappy with all of that. But he wanted to go back there because his wife was living in a third world country, right? And he wanted her to experience the good life of a first world country. It said that his wife came up to him after two months, just two months of being in this Western country and said, I'm depressed. And he said, how in the world could you be depressed? Like you went from a third world country to a first world country. We have all of these things. And this is what she said, quote, because the church here is under a satanic lullaby and I'm falling asleep. And every time I try to wake up, the lullaby goes faster. Let's go back to my country. So they left everything and went and shared Jesus in the Middle East. The satanic lullaby, I haven't been able to shake that thought in my mind. To think that Satan can tempt us, right, to be comfortable with a certain way of following Jesus that doesn't fit Jesus' way of following Jesus. That we can be tricked into following this model, right? And to be comfortable with that. And I've experienced this in my own life. In my own life. If Satan shows up in my own life and he's going, shh, that's, uh, I, don't, I don't think that's what Jesus really means. I don't, I don't think that's it. Where he comes up and he goes, shh, you're, you're tired. You're, you're tired, just rest. Maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. Or shh, no, 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 I know you're wrestling, like you're wrestling with this, but you work hard, you deserve it. You deserve it, shh, just relax, enjoy it. Shh, yeah, 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 I know, I, I know you're supposed to be sharing the gospel, yeah, 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 I get that, but, but you've got things you have to do. <laughs> you've got things that you have to do and those people look way too busy to talk to them anyway. Or what about this one? Shh, no, 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 no. Do you, do you really want to be seen as one of those crazy radical Jesus people? Is that really what you want? In this passage, Jesus is calling for complete commitment to him, a whole of life or an all of life commitment. Jesus in this passage is saying, look, I'm looking for people who are going to be like, are following me, are being changed by me, are committed to my message. Like that's what my mission, that's what I'm looking for. And again, we can go back to Paul, Philippians 3, 7 through 11. Paul gets this again. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss, everything, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, everything, to know Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish, Rubbish there has this idea of just totally worthless. It's like all this stuff that doesn't matter when we're done with the stuff that matters. He even talks about like this could actually be like animal dung. Think about that. He says, I count it all as dung. And why? In order that I may gain Christ. 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Mark Sayers is a um, pastor at Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. He's a podcaster, he's a speaker, he's an author. And in his podcast, uh, episode one, The Opening Door to Renewal, he talks about how faith, like following Jesus now, has become more about comfort and good feelings. Comfort and good feelings minus, minus the commitment of this all of life following of Jesus. He goes on to say that, that we want to be made right with Jesus, but we don't want to become like Jesus. That somehow faith in the West has become, oh, all I gotta do is believe certain things, whether those things are transferring or, or, or uh, transforming my life, or my life or not. Let me say that again. That we just believe certain things. Like if I could just believe certain truths, whether they're transforming or affecting my life or not. He goes on to write this in his book, Disappearing Church. He says, we are offered the mirage that we can have community without commitment, faith without discipleship, and the kingdom without the king. I want you to think about that. The kingdom without the king. And again, if Jesus isn't working in our lives, we go there really, really quick. What does that look like? What does that look like? We come in on a Sunday morning and we go, we love Jesus. Jesus loves me. Jesus makes much of me. Jesus is in my life to do wonderful things for me. And then we never stop long enough to consider what Jesus is asking of us. You hear some people say this, right? That faith is just, it's just a crutch. Spirituality is just for weak people. But the people that end up saying that, they have no idea what a true disciple is. Because it's really hard to follow Jesus. It's really hard to die to ourselves. It's really, helped, or it's really hard to give up things for him, if that's what he calls, or to make sure that he's, he's supreme on the throne of our lives, as opposed to all of these other things that are there. It's really, really hard, and I want you to get this, church, and it's impossible for us to do them. It's impossible for us to do the things that Jesus is calling us to do to be his follower. It's impossible for us to die to self in and of ourselves. It's impossible to love other people less. It's impossible to abandon all of those things if Jesus isn't working in our lives. The crazy thing is it takes Jesus intersecting in our lives to make all of these things a reality for us. I want you to hear this. We don't will our way into these things. We have to allow Jesus into our lives. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus says, this is, this is my desire for you. This is what I want from you. And he goes, not only do I want this from you, but I got the power to make this thing happen. And not only do I have the power to make this thing happen, I love you enough to make it happen. But then he also gives us free will to decide whether we want it to happen. 
Do we really want to follow him? Do we really want to be changed by him? Do we really want to jump in with his mission and his kingdom and for his glory? We must decide which way we are going to go at the intersection. And we cannot afford, church, I want you to hear this too. We cannot afford to be okay with just a little bit of Jesus. We can't be okay with just saving Jesus. We can't just be okay with a Jesus that enhances our lives, that, that kind of comes in and when we need things, we can pull them off the shelf and go, okay, Jesus, now come enhance. Jesus, come and change my status from dead to alive. Like, we need Jesus. We need all of Jesus. We need Jesus every day, every day. So what we need to do is, is we need to do spiritual disciplines. We need to engage in spiritual disciplines. Things like reading your Bible, praying, solitude, fasting, being in community so that there is space that's open, space that's open in your life for Jesus to come in, for Jesus to come and do what only Jesus can do. Jesus to empower us, to convict us, uh, to uh, invict us. <laughs> what? <laughs> convict us. That's, there's some weird theology there. <laughs> Come back. So, <laughs> for Jesus to come into our life to convict us, to transform us, to mold us, to shape us, to empower us. We have to create those spaces so that Jesus intersects with our lives. And then when he does intersect with our lives, we have to choose to be obedient to him, to surrender to him. When he calls us to certain things, to say, Jesus, have your way with my life. And when you end up doing that, it leads to deeper surrender. It leads to transformation. It leads to spiritual fruit. And I cannot, I'm not going to sit up here and talk about like where our part starts and where God's part starts and, and how this ends up working out because it's squishy and sometimes gives me a headache because I can't, it's not that clean. But here's what I want to tell you, that Jesus in his word says there are certain things we should be doing and not doing. We should be putting on, we should be taking off. Jesus, who he is, what, he, what he's able to do, what he wants to do in our lives and all of those things. We don't have to figure all of that stuff out. We just have to kind of step into this weird spiritual dance with Jesus where we step onto the dance floor and we go, okay, Jesus, lead me. <laughs> right? Jesus, show me what I'm supposed to do. What are you calling me to do? Where do you want me to go? Don't allow all of these other things in life to get in the way of my relationship for you, with you and what you want from me. In Fred Hartley's book, God on Fire, he writes this. When it comes to knowing Christ and encountering his manifest presence, don't dabble. Seek him with reckless abandon. The world will never be changed by people who dabble. Don't settle for a superficial, arm-distant relationship. Turn around. Christ is calling you all in. Dabbling is an insult to God. Jesus was not mangled on the cross, nor did he rise from the dead so that we might dabble. Amen. There's a cost to following Jesus. 
And it's difficult. But you have a Jesus who goes, that's what I want for you. And I have the power to make that happen. And I love you enough to make it happen. But at this intersection, what decision are you going to make? Are you going to be a true follower? Or are we going to choose our own ways? Because again, guys, if Jesus isn't in our lives and working, we're going to go the wrong way. It's the way we're bent. It's the way we're bent. So this morning, um, I felt like this for a while. Jake knows I've talked to him about it. We're, we're going to open things up to continue to give Jesus space for what he wants to do here. On Sunday nights, um, we call our gatherings Reality 139, and the teens make fun of me quite a bit. On um, We always say the same phrase. In fact, if I make the teens say it, they kind of, um, and they end up saying it that way. But here, why we call it Reality 139, and, and 139 comes from Psalms 139, but why we call it that is we always say that, that when people come through these doors, they come in with their own reality. When you came in through these doors, you came in with your own reality this morning. And what we hope is, is that your reality collides with God's reality, and then God does what only he can do. So we want to continue to open up and create space for Jesus to do what Jesus might be doing in your life right now. I don't know what it is. He may be calling you about a relationship. He may be intersecting in your life on surrender and dying to self. He may, be, um, he may have exposed some possessions that are there in the way. Maybe some of the things we talked about culture, you realize that it's gotten on you and you need to get rid of it. Or maybe you just want more of him. I'm not sure what it is, but, but uh, the team's going to play. And on, on this side, again, we're just going to open this up for people that want to come forward. Just get on their knees and hang out with Jesus. Do what you need to do with Jesus. And then over here, we'll have some people that would be willing to pray for you that, that um, they've been vetted, they're, they're trusted individuals, and they would love to be able to work through whatever or pray over you with whatever's going on in your life. And I almost did this in the first service. I almost sat there and I said, yeah, and, and if, if you want to deal with Jesus in your seat, that's fine. Whatever's most comfortable for you. I almost said it. And, and that's been the problem, hasn't it? The church is as guilty of this as the people that make up the church, the church leadership. And I'm just talking about fresh water, but we've kind of moved into this thing where it's like, what's most comfortable, right? It's most comfortable. It's come to the altar of comfort. So I'm just going to say, what's Jesus calling you to do this morning? If he calls you to stay in your seat, stay in your seat. If he calls you to come up front, come up front. If he's called you to leave because there's something you need to deal with right now with him, then leave. But follow him. If Jesus is intersecting in your life right now on anything, don't miss this moment. Don't miss this moment. Dear Heavenly Father, God, would you just do what only you can do? Jesus, I pray that we would be a church that would wake up. <laughs> God, that we would wake up to, 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 we'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I want to follow you. I want to be changed by you. I want to be part of your mission. God, help us to, the deception that's out there and the stuff that gets stuck on us. God, would you peel that stuff away? And Jesus, just continue to do what only you can do here. 
Would you set us free from things? Would you convict us of things? Would you empower us to do certain things? May we experience you in life the way you have things set up, not the way that seems to make sense to us. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.